All right, you know what? There's been people in my life, I'm going to share five of them that are long dead. They're going to be people that I make a beeline to in heaven. I want to meet them because they have, they have been instrumental in my faith and growing in my trust for the Lord. I'm going to give you all five of them in the course of this message, but I want to start with the life of George Muller. George Muller, probably the most influential of all five of them in my own life. He was born in Germany and eventually made his way to Bristol, England, and he started an orphanage in, in 1849. It was an epidemic problem. Children were not wanted in England in the 19th century. That's why David Copperfield, all of that stuff, I mean, you read it and you know. Muller had a heart for children, and he started orphanages. And here's the thing I want you to know, and this is where it's been very, very instrumental in my life. Not once did he ever ask people to give money to support that orphanage. I mean, you really, if you haven't noticed it, can I just draw attention just briefly to one thing that I don't do? And one of the things I don't do is I don't make public appeals to give more money to this church. I don't know if I ever have. Now, if there's a ministry like Cheston or someplace where we're going to be supporting children, I will certainly ask you to give generously to that. But I don't ask. I just know God's going to provide. He might not always meet our budget by way of what we think we're going to get, but he always meets our budget by what we need, always, every single year. Mueller never once asked people to give money, but here's what he did. He constantly asked his heavenly father to provide. And God did just that often in the most critical of moments. In Mueller's lifetime, if I put it in today's equivalency, currency-wise, $180 million were given to those orphanages. And he never once asked anybody to give, not once. With all that money, he rescued and he gave hope to just over 10,000 children, unwanted on the streets of Bristol, England. He kept meticulous records. 10,024 children experienced the love of God whose parents cast them out or whose parents died. And they found themselves living on the streets. He gives what his purpose was in his autobiography. He said he wanted to demonstrate to an unbelieving England that God is real and God can be trusted. God is real and God can be trusted. Of the hundreds of stories that I could share about supernatural providence that God gave to Mueller's ministry, let me just give you one, and this one is amazing. It begins with a quote from his house mother of one of the several orphanages. She said that children are dressed, Mr. Muller, and they're ready for school, but there is no food in the kitchen for them to eat. They were out completely of food. George Muller asked her, gather the 300 children, take them into the dining room, have them sit at the tables. He came in, he stood at the head of one of the tables, and when every child was quiet, he thanked God in prayer for the food that he was going to provide, and he waited. Within minutes, a knock on the door, it was the baker. 
Mr. Muller of the baker said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. So I got up and I baked three batches for you and the children. I will bring it in. All of a sudden, as soon as the bread was in, another knock. Now it's the milkman. He said, Mr. Muller, my cart broke down. One of the axles sheared. I can't get the milk to market in time before it spoils. Can you use some free milk? George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. Between the bread and the milk, it was just enough to feed 300 thirsty and hungry children. That happened continuously in Mueller's life. And some began to insist, well, George Mueller's got the gift of faith, a supernatural enablement to trust God in the most dire of times. But the ordinary Christian, they said, is not able to trust God like that. Mueller explained, while all faith is a gift of God, what he had was the grace of God to believe because he trusted in God's word. And God's word says that his heavenly father will provide. That same kind of faith belonged to another hero of mine that was greatly instrumental in the 1980s to teach me to trust the Lord. His name was Hudson Taylor. He began his ministry over in China, which was a closed country to the gospel. He started a ministry called China Inland Missions. And someone asked him one time while he was in China for a ministry update. I'm going to give you his reply. It's a direct quote from, from Taylor. He said, the financial balance for the entire China Inland Mission yesterday was 25 cents. And then he said, 25 cents in all the promises of God. When I first got to this church in 1996, I was paid a very, very low salary. That's all they could afford. I printed out that quote, 25 cents and all the promises of God. I put it on my office wall for years. And it fortified my trust in my heavenly father. 25 cents and all the promises of God. Can I invite you to stand with me as we read our passage? We're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 8 through 15. And let's see what God will do through his word to encourage us to trust him and be generous. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely... He has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible 
gift. You may be seated. I've got a very simple message for you. It's only three points. And it begins this way. Generous Christians display God to the world. Generous Christians display God to the world. Let me tell you what's going on and catch you up to this in 2 Corinthians 9. A year before the church at Corinth, which was a fairly wealthy church, heard about, through Paul, the poverty, the persecution, and the suffering of the Christians in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had the mother church. It was from that church that churches were being established all over the world. When they heard about it, they began a capital relief fund. That's what we would call it. They began setting money aside, but then all of a sudden disunity came. Competition between speakers came. Favorites among them. And it so ground them to a halt and moved their eyes off of the suffering Jews in Jerusalem and put it back on themselves that they stopped collecting for this gift. Meanwhile, Paul is up in Macedonia, northern Greece, and he's working with churches at Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica, who they had heard that Corinth was starting and offering a capital relief fund for the Christians in Jerusalem. They said, we want to be part of that. Paul, let us be part of that. And even though they had nothing, they were, at dirt, they were dirt poor, bottom of the poverty chain. They said, we can sell things. We can give money to that. We want to be part of this. So Paul took their offering. He was going to stop at Corinth. He's getting them ready for it. And then to, the, together with his ministry team, He's heading to Jerusalem with all of this capital relief fund to bring help to the poor Christians there. That's what's happening. And he promises them something in verse 8. And that promise is equally applicable to us today. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now let me give you a fun little uh, understanding of the Bible. They didn't have in the Greek, this is written, this is translated from the Greek. This is street Greek, by the way, not the high society, classical Greek. It's accessible to everybody. They didn't have exclamation points. If you look at Greek manuscripts, there's no underlining, there's no bold, there's no italics, there's no exclamation points. So when Paul or any Greek writer really wanted to make a point, they used superlatives. They've piled on one superlative on top of another. That's what he's doing. So that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times. That's the use of superlatives. It's meant to get our attention. But he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. What does that mean? That's not the unmerited favor of God, the kindness of God to a sinner. This is in the context of contribution and generation, gener uh, generosity. This is money. God is to make his unmerited favor in the expression and in the means of money abound to you. So Christian, here's the promise. God is able to give you abundantly financially. so that we would abound in every good work. Well, we'll find out what that means in a minute. But here's the echo of that promise, Philippians 4. Philippians, one of the churches at Philippi, which was extremely poor. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So we're already beginning to get down in our hearts 
a really awesome saying that I'm going to encourage you to memorize. Here it is. You cannot outgive God. Can you say that with me? You cannot outgive God. Now, the problem with that saying is this. It might just be easily, Lewis, Madeline, you cannot outgive God. Oh, but wait a minute. That applies to me too, doesn't it? So let's change the pronoun and let's repeat it. I cannot outgive God. Say that with me. I cannot outgive God. You just cannot. And neither can I. Generosity is built on faith. If you do not trust God, you cannot be a generous Christian. And if you have a high trust in God, you will be a generous Christian. And they were no different than us, the church at Corinth. They're saying things like what we say. What if I don't have enough for what I need? What if an emergency comes up? I've got to hold on to this money. I can't give it away. What if I lose my job? What if the economy crashes? Well, the economy did crash in the first century. Just ask the churches in Macedonia. So yes, it is wise, right, Christian brother and sister, to plan, to prepare. I mean, the Bible condemns the foolish parents who don't save to give an inheritance to their children. That's condemnable in Proverbs. So yes, we should save. Yes, we should plan. We should prepare. But we cannot close our hands possessively over what we have and refuse to be generous. Paul gives us a promise God will meet all of our needs. His grace will abound to us, his cheerful givers. And in doing so, verse 8, we can abound in every good work. Well, I told you I'd tell you what that good work is. If you ever are studying the Bible, by the way, everybody look at me for a second. This is a, a fun little um, study principle. And you read a verse, which if you're doing the take the journey, I think I've read about 1,500 verses so far that I have no idea what it's talking about. Like, what a mystery. What is it saying? If you read a verse and you don't know what it's saying, here's your principle. Scripture always explains Scripture. Somewhere in the Bible, it's going to explain the mystery in that verse. You just got to find it. You got to study and show yourself approved. So, what, is, what does it mean to abound in every good work? He answers it in verse 9, the very next verse. And here's what he says, as it is written. He's quoting Psalm 112.9. He has distributed freely, God has. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Well, let me tell you two things about this. First of all, if you've ever been poor, then you undoubtedly know the truth of what I'm telling you. Money did not rain out of the sky into your lap. It's not going to happen. I don't care how many prosperity theology teachers you listen to. Gold dust does not settle down from the ceilings of churches. What does it mean then? Well, here's the thing. Here's what Paul is saying. That God gives to us, his children, freely so that through us, he can provide for the poor. If we cut out the middleman, 
If we say no, we're going to hold possessively. We're not going to be generous. Then what should have been given to the poor stops with us. And the Bible calls that injustice. Now look at this verse again in verse 9. If I were you, I would take your pen and I would underline righteousness. And I would put out in the margin what that means. Because a better meaning is justice. Justice. Did you know that poverty, my friends, is a form of injustice? This is not how God created the world. That there would be people who are scrabbling for enough food to survive. That there would be children with quashiorcor disease or malnutrition, marasmus, where their stomachs stick out and they're going to die. That's not part of God's created intent. The fact that there are millions of children dying around the world from poverty is injustice. And God's means to bring justice is by supplying us with all that we need that we can be generous and the poor can be fed from God through us. That's the plan. But if we're not generous, that plan grounds to a halt and it brings about injustice. As we give God's money to the kingdom of God, to the poor and the needy. We are showing the righteousness, the justice of God to a very broken, very selfish world. So we've got to be courageous. And let this question kind of provoke some thought. I have to do it too. How much of our monies and possessions are being given to those who are poor. I've said it every single one of the sermons in this series. There's a difference between circumstantial poor and irresponsible poor. Circumstantial poor are those whose company downsizes, those where governments are tyrannical and take the resources from the people. There are circumstantial poor, people that get cancer, they cannot work, they cannot bring money in to pay for their family's needs. But then there's irresponsible poor, those who could work and won't work. Paul says, therefore, let them not eat. So there's a difference between those who could be working but don't want to work and so they're poor and those who want to work want to live the right way maybe even have a mental illness and so they constantly lose jobs that's still part of circumstantial poverty there's a difference between them so how much of your money how much of your possessions are being given to those who are poor it's kind of funny last night at church I had uh, the family who was working in our clothing room come up to me, and I, I, he's a really big guy, and he said, hey, really, I, I just want to, really sarcastic, I want to say thanks, really, thanks. Thanks for making so much work for us because of your sermon series. So many people are bringing clothes. It just took us an hour to do what normally takes 15 minutes. So he's laughing tongue-in-cheek. Listen, if you're giving, going through your wardrobe, like I encouraged you last Week, going through your shed, going through your garage, putting a sticker on stuff you don't need, you don't use. Give it away. But don't give your stained clothes away. Don't give your ripped clothes away. Give the stuff that's really nice, but you gain 20 pounds, you can't fit into it. You're never going to lose it. Let's just be real. This is a very uplifting message. 
Here's what God thinks of the poor. Proverbs 14. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. That means if you see a neighbor in need, you don't do anything about it. You're a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. God's going to bless you. Whoever gives to the poor will not want. You're not going to lack. That's a promise. But he who hides his eyes. You know, you go up to an intersection. And there's somebody that has a cardboard sign. Ah, well, Pastor Tim said that's probably irresponsible for. I didn't say that. But there's more ways to help than just give money. How about take them out for a meal and actually have a relationship? He who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Now listen, instead of feeling guilty, instead of us leaving this message, feeling guilty that there are poor people in the world while we have so much, Let's leave here excited because here's the message. We can give generously by trusting that God will resupply us as we're giving so that we can bring his justice to a poor and broken world. That's exciting. And it leads us to point number two. Very simple. Generous Christians will never lack what they need. Do you have the faith to believe this? Here's the promise, verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Do you hear what this is saying? Some of you may never have seen this before. It's all through the Bible. It's not just an isolated verse here in verse 10 and 11. Here's the promise. If you give generously... All God's going to do is say, you're somebody that I can trust with my possessions. So I'm going to give you more. That's not prosperity theology. Because he's going to give you more because he knows you're going to be generous with more of it. You're not going to stockpile it. You're not going for the bigger cars. You're not going for the nicer homes. You're not going for the luxury clothes. He's going to give you more because you're going to give more to the poor. You're going to give more to the needy. This is what God promises. If you give generously, he's going to not only meet your needs, he's going to give you more. He's going to enrich you in every way so that you can give out more to those who are in need and thereby show his justice to a broken world. That's the promise. Do you believe it? The only way you can answer yes to that is if you're beginning to be more generous. Otherwise, you don't believe it. God's people give God's money for God's work. It doesn't belong to us. So here's some things that you might want to try doing. This is, these are things I've got to do as well. If you get a raise... At work, ask God if He has plans for that money before you make your own plans. I mean, He's the one that brought about that raise. Don't think for a minute that it's just because your work ethic, because of your success. God gave you your work ethic, just like He gave us breath, as Matthew taught us. He's given you the abilities to do your job well. So if you get a raise, it's really God's blessing on you, and it's His money. So ask Him what He wants you to do with it before you make your own plans. If you make more sales this month at your work, don't you want to know why, God? Why did that happen? What are you, 
want me to do with this increase? If you find money, listen, I was on a walk two weeks ago and I found a crumpled up filthy dollar bill. I thought it was a king's treasure. It's so cool to find money. If you get unexpected money your way, God's the one that gave it to you. So you should ask first before you go spend it on yourself. God, it's not wrong to spend it on me, but did you have another plan in mind for this? See, the fear is that if we give generously, we're not going to have enough. But God promises to continually provide the seed that we need as we share and even enrich it, multiply it, so that we can give even more generously. It's fear that holds us back, but it's faith that unlocks your fingers and gives as God instructs. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And it takes us to my third and final point. Generous Christians have been changed by the gospel. Generous Christians have been changed by the gospel. Look at verse 13. By their approval of this service. Well, what's he saying? This is so exciting. I can't wait to tell you this. When the poor, beleaguered, poverty-stricken saints in Jerusalem get this money from Corinth and Berea and Philippi and Thessalonica, Capital Relief Fund, they're going to glorify God. Why? Because of your submission, your generosity, your contribution. And it's showing, look at verse 14, that the surpassing grace of God is upon you. It's working in you. He's encouraging the church at Corinth that their faithful generosity is going to move the poor saints in Jerusalem to glorify God. They're going to erupt in praise. When we lived in Georgia, Denise and I, I was a youth pastor at Ephraim Church, very, very small, 80-person church in Marietta, Georgia, Powder, Powder Springs. We lived there, but we served in, in Marietta. And the church, when they hired me, said, listen, we're a small church. We don't have enough money to pay you a salary. We'll pay you your health insurance for you and Denise when you have children at the time. But would you trust that whatever people designated on their giving checks, youth pastor fund, that will be your paycheck each week. And God had already proven himself faithfully time and time again in our marriage. So we said, we've got to trust. So for three years, I never knew what I was going to get paid week to week. Some weeks would be $60. I'd be driving home after church, literally in tears, because I had no idea how how we were going to pay the bills I knew were coming that week. But in those three years of time, we never, ever lacked what we needed. Not once. We couldn't get what we wanted, but we never, ever lacked what we needed. So here we come in 1996 to this church. This church was about 200 people at the time, 180. They hired me, and they didn't have a whole lot of money, so they paid me $26,800 a year. We had two kids. We're living in Southside Easton on a rear alley renting a home. And we're just barely making it. But we knew God called us. We knew God had been faithful to us in the past. He's going to be faithful in the future. But we had a financial crisis hit. One of our vehicles died. And the bill at the shop said $1,000. Where are we going to get $1,000? We didn't have that money at all. It was not $1,000. It was $800. 
praying. We never told anybody about this. Not one person in the church knew of our financial crisis. Only Denise and I, we just kept praying to our father, as George Muller taught me. I go out to the mailbox, and I bring in a stack of mail, thinking how many bills are in this. Here's an envelope. No return address. Postmarked Lehigh Valley. I said, that's strange. I open it up as I'm walking back to the rental home. And there's a tri-folded piece of paper, eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And tucked inside of those pockets were eight brand new $100 bills. We didn't tell anybody about this. The exact repair bill was $800. Our father knew. And he moved in the heart of a generous giver who did not know that we had a financial crisis, did not know how much that financial crisis was, but gave generously the exact amount we needed to meet that financial crisis. And when I got back in and I showed Denise, we erupted in a worship service of praise to God. Our Heavenly Father really does care. And he really will supply everything we need to do all he's going to ask us to do. You know, that, that experience put the spotlight on our Heavenly Father. You know, I still don't know to this day who gave that. It was that anonymous gift which allowed us to go straight to our Heavenly Father and praise Him. What moved that person to do it? I know it wasn't somebody from the world. The world doesn't give me anything but empty promises. That was a Christian. What moved that person to give so generously? Well, it's answer is here. It's the confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that has the power to change us from the inside out, changing our motivations, giving us new desires, uncurling our fingers willingly, letting God have all that we have and do with it what he wants. You know, my third hero of the faith is a guy named Charles Thomas Studd. This guy's amazing. Went by C.T., born in 1860 in England. He was a son of a wealthy British businessman. And he became what many have said, the greatest cricket player that England has ever known. Today, they call him the Michael Jordan of the cricket world. Despite his athletic fame, and despite a vast inheritance that he received when his father died, he came to know Jesus Christ. He got saved. He gave up his athletic career. He set aside almost entirely, gave away almost entirely all of his inheritance. And he joined Hudson Taylor in China with China Inland Missions. He eventually left there, started a ministry in India, and then left there and eventually landed in Africa just above New Belgium, just above where we are with Restoring Hope Ministry in Dungu. And he has so many famous sayings, but here's one of them that really worked in my heart. He said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice could be too great for me to make for him. Please listen. You are not going to become a generous giver until the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ unleashes in your heart and gives you the want to to do what you ought to. If you don't have it, ask for it. If you don't have it, ask for it. 
And you will become generous when the surpassing grace of God works in you powerfully. It will spill out of your heart through your open hands. And you will say with Paul in verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What if God asked you to take your dreams of buying something that you think would so satisfy your life and pivot and give that money to his ministries all over the world, to the poor, to the needy? Would you do that? C.T. Studd did. And God did the same in British John Wesley, another of my heroes, number four, who lived on 28 pounds a year. That is equivalent today to $5,100 a year. His income increased. He was a prolific writer, preacher. He wrote books. He wrote songs along with his brother Charles. He, his income increased fivefold, sixfold to $29,400 a year. Yet Wesley continued to live. I find this remarkable. I've never been able to do this. He continued to live on $5,100 a year. Isn't it hard when you get a raise to stay at the same lifestyle? He had three rules and he taught them prodigiously. Of the three rules which are laid down, John Wesley said, you may find many that, that observe the first rule, namely gain all you can. You may find a few that observe the second, save all you can. But how many have you found that observe the third rule, give all you can? Here's what he lived by. Make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. He said that when he died and people got his body and found that he had over $2,450 to his name, they, they said, call me a robber because I don't want to die with that much money. My fifth hero, Martin Luther, the great reformer, Changed by the gospel of Jesus to be generous, he said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. So what if God asked you to downsize your home to free up money to give to his kingdom? Some of us make a lot of money. Are you giving a lot of it away? What if he asked us to live on less so that we can give more to the poor and the needy? What if he asked you to increase your giving to a ministry anywhere on this planet that is feeding starving children? Would you have the faith to do it? Let me tell you as I close what your future will be if you will begin to divest yourself of your money and invest it to the poor and the needy. You're going to go to heaven one day, Christian brother and sister, and when you walk through those gates, the Bible teaches this, by the way, you will have discovered that you made friends in heaven. Do you know how you make friends in heaven? It's not only by declaring the gospel and leading them to Christ and salvation. 
You're going to make friends you will have never known you made on earth. And when you walk through those gates, they will be lined, I'm convinced, on both sides. And they will be applauding you as you walk down the middle, I think, escorted by Jesus Christ. And those people applauding you are going to be the poor children, the poverty-stricken people, the ones that your generosity enabled them to, to live. And they're going to say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because you showed the justice of God to a broken, needy world. That's generosity. Are you ready? Are you willing? Can you trust your heavenly Father to give? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, as we close down this service and uh, this series as well, and Father, I pray and I trust and I hope that myself, my wife, my children, and my church will be increasingly generous, that we will give to the poor and the needy and to the ministries of the kingdom of God all over this world, that we would choose to live on less so that we could give more and make friends for eternity. What a day that's going to be. I cannot wait. It's in the name of Jesus, your inexpressible gift. Father, that you gave generously to us, that we ask for your help. Work from the inside out and let the surpassing grace of God open our hands to give more than we've ever given before. In Jesus' name, amen.